podcast ain't played nobody. I will say anything to get anyone off the phone, Bill. Um, I told a bunch of people on the radio this morning that Arkansas was going to win nine games and beat TCU. Um, before you tell me how wrong I am, and that's fine, I just want to contrast um, our working philosophies. You spend the better part of a year, the, the lion's share of a calendar year, trying to accurately and, and with the most amount of education possible determine who who's going to be good. Um, I committed to a radio spot early this morning. Uh, there were some storms that came just rushing through Nashville oh, yeah. at about the 4 a.m. hour. I'm sure you were up. Um, it caused me to wake up. I had to check on my kids, so I turned my alarm off, forgot about the radio hit, picked the phone up, and I'm doing radio dead asleep. So I'm going from a dead sleep to doing the radio in Fayetteville. Um, I don't know if they noticed that, whatever. But it was the, it was your run-of-the-mill business. They asked me specifically about some tight end replacements at Arkansas. And, you know, answers I had right off the top of my head <laughs> that I didn't have to, like, groggily search for on, on the Googles. Um, and then, the, of course, they put me on the, on the record spot. And what it was was the, the, I could tell the segment would be shorter the more I agreed. Now, this is not for or against Arkansas. Or, or TCU. I was just looking at their non-conference schedule. Uh, I, I don't care. I'll say anything, basically, to expedite the process um, and try not to wake up you know, a toddler and my wife. Um, how wrong was I? Uh, well, I know you haven't I, done SEC yet. but Right. Just. I mean, I, I really do. It's hard for me to, to go too far without like way diving in. But I will say, by the way, my, my philosophy, Jason's the one blocking this. I want to basically proclaim in every single preview that I write that uh, the team at hand has a very good shot of winning the national title. Um, I think that's fair. It's amazing what the response is in comments and on Twitter and on, on our, you know, on, on page views uh, when people think you really know what you're talking about. Uh, and, and fan bases really, you just, you get it when you say their team's going to be good. Um, no, I mean, Arkansas is going to have a chance to be really good. I, I don't really, with the turnover they have in the backfield, I assume that won't happen. Uh, I don't think they'll probably be nine and three good. It'd be hard for them to end up with a better record this year without some of the guys they've lost uh, as compared to the last couple of years. But no, I mean, he's recruiting pretty well. He's got the identity. He should be, he should be solid for moving forward. Uh, so you weren't that far off. The ima- it's, it's amazing the amount of generalities that I can throw out there that will carry me through an interview in which I know nothing. Well, I, and so, sometimes like I, I'll get asked a question. I'm not, I'm just not really mentally prepared for. And so um, I'll kind of come up with an answer in the middle of, of, of BSing just nonsense. Uh, and so then I'll just try, you know, you'll have to steer out of that curve and it's, it's kind of an interesting skill to try to develop. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you basically just described most of my career. I'm just never going to be the guy who knows about like your, your backup linebackers. I don't think, I mean, I'm 35. I think my career is kind of defined at this point, at least in the college sports side. So I just can't say no if you ask me on your radio show because, you know, not too, too long ago, I was a freelancer. I was um, I was a guy scrapping to put it all together. So that's my weakness. If you find my contact information, I will probably do your radio show, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. And I have a, I'm going to have a book to sell soon, uh, soon. I haven't said no to a radio invite in forever. Well, I guess what's about to happen, partner. Every request I get, I'm just either going to send it to you 
or or just talk about your book. All right. Just talk about your book. Hey, by the way, um, I don't even know what Fayetteville Station it was off the top of my head. They we're very nice people. I, I'm not trying to speak ill of local radio. Y'all got y'all got a job to do. Um, pr- also, pretty amazing. Um, the diversity with which we enjoy on podcasting played nobody, and just really at SB Nation in general, where we can say stuff like, "Hey, let's do a thing about Western Michigan," and no one laughs at us. Um, man, Arkansas is one of those states where I, I guess they really do spend six months a year breaking down the schedule. Like, it's like the they're they're Arkansas is sort of a pseudo college baseball environment. They do care. So I guess right after that dies down, I mean, all they do is talk about Arkansas. Yeah. The, the ESPN, um, you know, ESPN has like the, the conference specific blogs now. And I, I kind of, um, you know, I'll catch some of the content. I'll put some of it over at Rocky M and whatnot, but it's, it's, it always makes me kind of roll my eyes sometimes like the number of variations they can come up with on, you know, X factors for this year, most important opponent of this year, the most important position of this year, you know, Etc. But they have to kill uh, nine months talking about fourteen teams, um, and I don't know how you do that. That's I love having having one hundred twenty eight to talk about. I kind of hate not really being able to form concrete opinions on SEC teams until August when I've written about them. But that's a small price to pay. I, I love the variety. But that makes sense. It's only contrary logic in our industry that you would wait until you would do the best teams last because you would you would have the most time to look at them, right? You would start with a, probably, for most people, the least interesting teams first, and that you wouldn't spend six months just examining. You don't bake a cake ten times, and that's what we, <laughs> that's what we do right. because this offseason is so, so long. So I always am um, having an existential moment because I know we're the show that the whole AAC gimmick and then all the Sunbelt stuff, but I, like, I, I can't talk about Alabama for six months. I don't, I, Alabama prides itself on – you know, at least on a football level, that you don't really have a lot to talk about. They're so predictably good. So <laughs> I um I, I think European soccer has it right. No off season. Like they went. I'm fine with that. I, I've been. I, I think I'll have a Bayern piece going up next week, just kind of checking on their off season. There is no off season. They basically they they played in the finals of the German Cup. They got two weeks off, then half their team went to play in the Euros. Uh, the Euros are just now ending, like on Monday, and then two weeks later they're going to be in Chicago to start their American tour. That's insane. But it there's no downtime, <laughs> and and the teams some teams change a lot. But I mean, basically, the team that Byron was at the end of last year, manager aside, is going to be the team they are when they start playing. And so, yeah, there there no, there's no time for idle thoughts. So yeah, get hop to that football with your injury problems. Let's just start playing 38 games a year, spread them out over uh, nine months, and then have a, a an international tournament in the middle of the summer. Bill ain't care about your head trauma. <laughs> That's right. Not at all. Uh, we have a. This is going to be the last cleanup show because I will be on the road next week, headed to the Pac-12 Media Days. Um, I won't. I think by the time we record our next episode, we still won't have anything newsy except whatever passes for news or interest or or manufactured narrative advancement, as they say in the public relations world, will be going on in Hoover at the SEC Media Days. For those of you who are curious, no, I'm not going to SEC Media Days. No, I don't believe anyone from SB Nation is going. Um, yes, as far as I know, we could have gone if we wanted to. I don't think we're blacklisted from the SEC Media Days yet. Um, and, in fact, I think most people would realize you, the listener, um, could probably go to SEC Media Days. Uh, there is basically zero barrier to entry. That's how the SEC likes it. Um, what they aim for is a 
really large inflated number of attendees. They always want to be the first media day out of the gate, and they want to control how people talk about college football every year. Uh, and then they go back and clamp down with the kind of Byzantine structure of, of media policies at each individual schools and the conference itself. They're pretty terrible, and uh, I've established I don't like them. But they really amp it up, come one, come all, circus-type atmosphere for next week in Alabama. Um, the problem is nothing newsy happens. There are a lot of things that could happen. There are a lot of awkward moments that could happen and a lot of sort of like – I think a lot of people maybe just coming from the Mississippi corner of the conference are going to be aiming for some gotcha-type moments on the, on the big podium with the coaches Mullen and Freeze. That ought to be, I guess, interesting for a minute, the same way that driving by a car wreck is. Uh, but I don't know if a newsy thing will happen unless they announce something big or bold. We'll see. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, the, the laziness of the narratives is what drives me crazy about this. That and it's four days. Four days is a, that's ridiculous. Um, but you know, the fact that nothing newsy will happen, but 178 narratives will emerge from it, from just the, the not, from the coach speak and the player speak. Um, it's just such a factory. It's just this automated, it's just this assembly, assembly line of content that we really, that I hate and, I, and that I'm really proud of our team that we really, really, really try to avoid it as much as possible. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm happy that we do not fall, necessarily fall into the trap and that we actually try to get at least a little bit creative or different with the stories we pursue. Saban will do what he does really well tactfully deflect kind of shame people who ask questions that he doesn't want to get into and then he will he will suddenly jump on something that he wants to expand upon something that he wants to get out there and push i hope it's satellite camps it will be i would say camps it might be something to do with academics this year um i'm trying to think right off the top of my head probably you know this may be the year that he comes out and wants to say something definitive about transfers that may be it um, I do like, by the way, that you know just the, how disposable these things are. We talked about cost of attendance stipends for years, mm-hmm. and, and that whole big circle. And now that they're going on, it's basically everybody's like, "Oh, seems to be going okay." The uh, end. So people would ask, "Why would you leave Nashville and go all the way to the Pac-12 Media Days?" Because um, Los Angeles is awesome. Where is it? Um, is it? Is it Los Angeles? Yeah, it is LA this oh, year. Okay, um, yeah. That's actually not the reason. Um, there are opportunities for people like me to actually get one-on-one like like FaceTime we call it with coaches and administrators and players and stuff like that um the SEC is a zoo you don't really get that opportunity everything's done in in a big sort of gang setting um Pac-12 is not like that I leave Pac-12 and I'm going to go to Big 12 which uh, I think I've already used the car wreck metaphor but my god that's going to be fun when Bowlesby gets on that stage and then I'm going to hit um two two G5s um Sunbelt and then I come home and then Bill and I gear up. I don't have the air horn. We're going to not use the air horn. Um, <laughs> but we, we are headed to AAC Media Days. And they're giving us our own booth. So, it's just, I mean, look out, Rhode Island. I'm not as excited asked, as I was last week. Uh, well, that's a shame. Uh, I hope somebody asked Bowlesby about, conference, about Big 12 expansion. Do you think somebody will? I think that Bowlesby, if we're, this is going to turn into a prediction show. Um, I think Bowlesby gets up. And goes straight for the jugular. And so what I mean by that is, if you're not familiar, so at the Big 12 event, it's two days. It's, um, it's two days in a ballroom in a really nice, much nicer hotel than in the SECs, I might add. Very nice, the Omni in Dallas. So they get up in the morning. 
The first day, the commissioner speaks. Then five head coaches speak. Then we have lunch. Then in the afternoon, those five head coaches are set up kind of like a job fair where they have like these really nice banners and, and flat screens playing highlights behind them. Like each, each school has like a pod area. And you could just go walk up to the players or the head coach for three hours and talk to them. This pisses off Dana Holgerson to no end. <laughs> and I, I enjoy, even if I, like last year I was working on something with Bryles, I think, and ran over for the last 15 minutes just to see how uncomfortable Holgerson was and how much he hates this entire experience. Um, so it's, that's an awesome setup for me. What Bowlesby will do is in the morning, he's the first one on the podium. I think he'll just go straight at it. He has to because their identity is just completely, just a total mess, right? And these conference commissioners use these media days to try and, like, give you a state of the union. Here's why we're confident. Here are the issues that are going on in college football that that this conference feels like we should do this with, right? So you mentioned stipends, cost of attendance. It's always something. Transfers. I still feel like transfers may be a big one this year. Last year, the Big you mean, 12. You mean grad transfers? Or I, think, I think transfers uh, in terms of, because again, Bowlesby's going to, we haven't even mentioned the Baylor stuff, right? So I think that, that some conference commissioner, and I think two or three conference commissioners will get a chance before Bowlesby speaks, to jump out in front of the transfers with, uh, transfers with baggage, let's say, issue. Uh, okay, and, and, and who are we going to take on? I think grad transfers pretty sewn up. There may be one or two coaches that are pissed off about it, but Mike, I don't Mike think Shishovsky. right. I mean, I don't think that's going to be something that, that dominates. Um, but then Bowlesby's going to have to say, "This is who we are at ten. We are going to have two divisions of five teams. This is what we're doing. We're going to put a rotating co- uh, conference championship game in Kansas City and Dallas, and you know, Houston, San Antonio, whatever. Or the doors are officially open. I mean, in my dream scenario, he says, "Hey." We're launching a reality program on, huh. on Fox in which athletic directors and school presidents audition in front of us. Maybe like a competition structure, like a road rules real world challenge in which Cincinnati and BYU have to like get on an obstacle course and compete to be the, the basement team in the Big 12. So the problem I, I have with that, I, first of all, I, I'm all for a reality show. I think it would be fascinating watching UCF uh, you know, crap on everybody else and sell themselves. Um, but Bowlesby clearly wants to expand. Boren and some of the others clearly want to expand. And so they, they try to build this momentum by speaking in public as much as possible. Then they go behind closed doors where I'm pretty sure Texas says, uh, guys, we're not giving up Longhorn Network. This isn't happening. Uh, and then the conversation just ends and everybody goes quiet. And then a month later, Bowlesby speaks in public says, you know, we need to probably do something about this. And, and it's been like the, the cycles are happening quicker and quicker now. And and so I don't know. He does not have the power. I don't think. I'd love to be wrong about this, but he doesn't have the power to say you know doors are open. It's time for us to expand because because Texas doesn't want to. I don't think Texas has a reason to. And but every, but so it just becomes this this cycle. And I, I don't know how you ever end it other than just saying okay we're ten because Texas has to give up for it to make any sense at all to expand. You need to be working towards a Big Twelve network. I think. And if you do that, then you need Texas to drop LHN. Otherwise, that, that is, even for, by Big 12 standards, that's a complicated, hilarious mess to have a Big 12 network and a Texas network. Right. So have I mentioned that we haven't mentioned LHN? We haven't mentioned the fact that the program is now in attrition, that, the, that you know, they are a mm, – pox is too strong a word. <laughs> um, look, 
it, it's a serious issue. Yeah. I have to be di- see, I can't make all the fun shut down fullback jokes because I have to talk to some of these people, um, including LHN. Things are amiss in Austin. That, of course, is a thing, right? right? So we have conference expansion. Essentially, look, the Big 12 Media Days, this club has everything, okay? <laughs> conference expansion rumors. I'm going to do the Stefan joke two weeks in a row. Conference expansion rumors. Network problems. Fired coaches in the offseason for sex scandals, sex assault scandals. This conference, in terms of things to talk about for two days, they should go four days. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of lining it up by schools, just do like a quick 15-minute clip on Iowa State, scoot them out, and then let's do a whole day on what everybody – put all put nine schools in a room on like a Tuesday, and the only thing we can talk about is the University of Texas, and Texas isn't there. <laughs> and then the next day, let's put, let's put everybody back in. We'll talk about expansion. And then the next day, we'll talk about our Bryles. I see. I'm doing. I'm doing yeoman's work for the Big Twelve right now. Um, so that's why I'm going to Big Twelve because that's that's the one everybody's going to be talking about. I don't think there's anything for Delaney to say that's going to be particularly no. engaging this year. Um, they'll probably just, uh, you know, it's still Harbaugh's show. He still gets to control it. Um, I think Ohio State is is so well positioned for all of this too. They absolutely drag Michigan in the game last year, and then they get to let their arch rival take all this largely unnecessary you know, media attention away from them, and Ohio State just gets to quietly be really good this year. It's kind of yeah, funny. By the way, we it's been not talked about that at all this offseason, is that Ohio State is, I think all this stupid Michigan, it's got to help them. Well, I mean, Ohio State has a lot of players to replace and all that, but they're still going to be good, obviously. But one thing I hadn't really... Um... One thing I hadn't thought about is, you know, we, I always forget this, and it's my own dumb fault for forgetting it, but our memories are so short. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things I, I didn't necessarily expect this offseason was, was the amount of, not only from Ohio State fans, but from everybody else, won't you beat Ohio State first instead of just, he's just playing these games, you haven't beaten anybody yet. Like, he's been there a year, <laughs> and he, he, A, improved the team pretty dramatically, uh, and B, had a bunch of injuries, and, you know, the defense fell off the last half of the year. They're going to be really good this year. But it, but the the narrative side of that is something I always forget, that we just we, we only remember what happened about, about the last four games. Uh, and uh, and therefore, Harbaugh's all talk and hasn't won anything yet. But they're going to be good. Ohio State, though, you're right. I do think that – I don't think Meyer minds having some of the oxygen taken away from them at the moment. Like, let, let him go off and do these crazy things, and when the season starts – you know, well, A, you, they'll get to have that nobody is talking about as chip on their shoulder that every team loves to have. Um, but but B, yeah, they, they haven't had to worry about any of this drama. They've just been able to kind of buckle down and, and not be Ohio State with a bunch of cameras on them. They've been able to kind of just go about trying to put a, uh, together a new team. Lord knows they've got enough good recruits to be really good this year. Um, I mean, based on the Urban Meyer um, attention expectation inverse ratio scale thing, the less attention on Ohio State in terms of a national title conversation, the better they end up doing. So he, he's <laughs> What if this was all a, a scheme, Bill? What if this is... Oh, my God. What if it's all a false flag operation? <laughs> oh, my God. He's in cahoots with Harbaugh. Meyer decided that he would much rather have a successful, media-prominent 9-10 win Michigan team every year that gets its ass stomped by Ohio State... And then the Buckeyes could just enjoy an easier path, a more focused path to the national title. 
This makes total sense except for the Mark D'Antonio part. When the men in Mark the black D'Antonio coats... goes missing. Look, if Mark D'Antonio goes missing, all right? I don't want to hear shit about black helicopters. I was going to say, when, they, when the men in the black coat come, just realize that... No, Steve, look, Steve Michigan, Godfrey, State, Michigan State is the only... They are the Fox Mulder, okay? They're the only thing keeping this conspiracy from taking over the country. I have nothing... I, I am not a friend of Stephen Godfrey's. I don't really know him. Um, go to his house. Do not his come to mine. His phone is packed! Alright, um... Really no transition out of that. Bill, you put the Pac-12 into, uh, Pac into groups. Um... Let's start. Uh, let's start being mean to Washington. Go. I, I don't know how I got this role. So, so yeah, I basically said, yeah, Washington is probably going to be a top twenty team this year. But let's let's try not to make it disappointing if they're only top twenty. And and yeah, when I put out my Pac-12 power rankings tomorrow, and I only have them third, I'm going to be called a hater, and I I don't think I deserve that. I am I am preemptively pushing back. Uh, against angry Washington fans who think I'm a hater. Although I have, I will, by the way, I've gotten a lot of emails from Washington fans saying, please, please tamp down the hype on our team. I hate this. So uh, there are some good ones out there too. I, I really have no problem with Washington winning the Pac-12 and going to the playoff. That would be super fun and awesome. Remember what this show preaches. One, mid-majors are awesome. And two, diversity inside the sport, geographic diversity and, and moving out of provincialism is always a good thing. Okay, so if Washington were to plant a flag for the Pacific Northwest in the Pac-12 and be formidable in the playoff, formidable, not Michigan State, formidable, it would do nothing but good for the for the, for the sport itself. Now, I don't know how well this is going to bode for the Pac-12. That's one thing I'm super interested in in going to Pac-12 media days is so Stanford replaces a lot. USC really, I, I hate to say this, Bill, but I don't think we've seen the the my usual grumpiness thing where where <laughs> usc is going to be the national title everyone seems to be calm and rational and level-headed about usc maybe specifically because they have a totally anonymous coach i don't know but the pac-12 needs something to 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 kind of prop themselves up with and i, I don't i don't know what that is going into media days i, mean, I think i'm gonna go out there and ask a bunch of questions about bad things like why are you sending football teams to australia yeah. but i don't really have i mean are are you is that what we're going to do? We're all going to sit here and talk about Washington as a national title contender? Is that, is that what they want to serve us in August? Because, man, chances are the bottom could fall out of that. I think the biggest thing the Pac-12 is going to have going for it this year is a, is a five-way title race. Um, you know, Stanford plays USC and UCLA and Washington in that first month of the season, which is crazy. Uh, as I put it at the end of my Stanford preview that should come out sometime today, um, Christian McCaffrey is not going to have to worry about not getting enough attention uh, I mean, that's a crazy way to start the season, but they're going to play all those teams. You got Oregon, who everybody does seem to kind of be forgetting about. Uh, they host Stanford and Washington. Washington hosts Stanford on a Friday night in late September, by the way, which is going to be awesome. Uh, their odds of being undefeated. They could slip up at Arizona, but their odds of being undefeated heading into the Stanford game are high. Wait, wait that game's on a Friday? Yeah. Huh. Okay. I'm going to go to that game. Uh, dibs. I've already got called dibs on that game. Are you going? I don't know yet, but maybe. I've been trying to sell the combination Stanford-Washington Friday night, uh, Oregon-Washington State Saturday. So dibs, baby. How are you going to get to from Seattle to pull you going to drive? That'd be, yeah, I mean, what, three and a half hours? As long as the, the Washington State game isn't the next morning at noon, or the next day at noon, which I could still make it if I needed to. 
That would be the idea. Hit both of those games because that that'll be yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a title race deciding or not deciding, but defining. Uh, fine. I mean, you can come. It can be. It can be. Uh, ain't played nobody on the road. Mm, yeah, because you know most media companies use their travel budget to send two writers to cover Pac-12 <laughs> hey, games. I was gonna say the. Uh, I bet ESPN does. We're just like ESPN, right? Mm, yeah, I, I hope not. Um, <laughs> for so many reasons, I can't talk about. Um, uh, I still feel like Stanford's. Uh, Bill talked me off the ledge of, of looking at a Stanford team replacing a bunch of fine football playing folks. I, I still feel like they're the conference favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Too. I mean, that's, you know, I, I do enjoy this process of, of writing these previews because I do kind of talk myself into and out of teams. I realize I'm the optimist, so I talk myself into more than I talk myself out of. Um, but, I, you know, the, the numbers have them, my numbers have them back down into the teens, something like 16th, I believe. Um and and I so I was trying to figure out why that was exactly. Number one was quarterback. I, I am the biggest Kevin Hogan fan alive, uh, as as is evidence every every time so anybody says his name on Twitter and the word sucks appears like a thousand times. Uh, but they're going to have McCaffrey back. I think Bryce Love, the backup running back, is awesome. Uh, so you know if they're getting dinged at all in my projections for losing their next three rushers after McCaffrey, I'm not worried about that. The receiving core returns mostly everybody. The offensive line could be an issue. I think, you know, they, I mean, they lose, what, three starters and a couple backups, um, three really good starters and a couple backups. But, I mean, I just I, I can't even pretend to worry about the Stanford offensive line. Like, I tried in the preview to worry about them, and I just couldn't. Like, that's uh, until we see them not have a decent line. Saw him um, in person at the Rose Bowl. Um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Hogan, he good. Yeah. He good. Yeah, I mean, he holds on to the ball too long. He takes some sacks. He, he'll he'll have, like, two games a year where he throws three interceptions. And in those games, yes, he sucks. God, uh, I've other, never seen – I've never. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've never seen a, a team so brutally punished for having a Cinderella season as I did with Iowa. I did two Iowa games last year. I did the Big Ten title, and I did the Rose Bowl. And, and Lord, was that – was the hand of God just spiteful, just mean. <laughs> That was Fr- that was France Iceland. Um, no, I mean, and, and last year he didn't even have one of those games. Like in in twenty fourteen, Kevin Hogan he had what he he threw two picks against Notre Dame, uh, threw two more against uh, Oregon State, which didn't matter. What am I thinking of? Oh, twenty thirteen he had two. He looked bad against USC. He looked bad against Notre Dame. Whatever. Last year he completed sixty eight percent of his passes with twenty seven touchdowns to eight interceptions. He had a one seventy one passer rating. In four years, his passer rating, even when he quote unquote sucked, even when he was dealing with injuries in twenty fourteen, his passer rating was still top thirty. Um, and I, I mean, this is a run first offense, and he's got easy options with tight ends and blah blah blah. Lots of quarterbacks have good receivers uh, and don't produce a one seventy one passer rating. So I, I mean I'm I, I think he was one of the more chronically misunderstood or chronically underestimated or whatever quarterbacks in recent history, uh, but <laughs> I think their quarterbacks that they've got coming uh, that you know one of the three that's going to be the starter this year, Christ or Burns or probably not the freshman Costello, but Christa Burns. Um, they're going to have two good running backs at least. They're going to have uh, Rector and Owusu and Trenton Irwin in the receiving core and Dalton Schultz, the next awesome tight end, and another awesome tight end. And, the, you know, if the offensive line isn't bad, they're going to be fine. And on defense, their defensive line is – you, you will never have a defensive line thinner than what they had last year. Uh, they basically played three defensive linemen. 
and they were, you know, they rotated which defensive end had to play defensive tackle, you know, from like series to series, it seemed like. Uh, and they lose some of those guys, but I think, I mean, they've got a couple redshirt freshmen, a couple upperclassmen. They got Solomon Thomas is going to be awesome. It's not going to be a thinner line than what they had last year. And I'm, like, I'm sorry. I think they're fine. I think they're fine. Uh, according to you, you gave us the Pac 12 power rankings that you're going to put out on. Friday? Tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Okay, I don't want to spoil that, and we won't get into the actual specifics. Just please, you know, go give us them clicks. But uh, you, we started talking about Washington right away when, when you presented it to us in, in our workroom, and then you kind of said we were burying the lead, which is we're all talking about is Washington overrated? What about Stanford? And you're saying, well, stop ignoring Oregon. Yeah. How? I mean, how good can you feel about Oregon? It's kind of funny. I always take my Oregon cues from – one Dan Rubenstein, he, the most knowledgeable Oregon alumnus and fan that I know, um, not really, he, I mean, kind of arms folded with this, with this coaching staff right now. This, this I, is the I, least positive Dan has ever been, or at least quietly confident when he picks at tie, um, that I, I've seen the Rubes in a while. I, I mean, again, we have short memories. Um, okay. last, year's, last year's Oregon defense stunk uh, really bad. Uh, and we we don't know that Brady Hoke's going to be the answer. Um, but what I, you know, basically in today's Stanford preview, what you'll read is me basically um, making fun of all of us for giving up on Oregon the way we gave up on Stanford last year. I mean, it's it almost like exactly that. the same situation. Stanford was, uh, you know, beyond reproach almost for like five years. They were winning 11 games a year. Uh, they had one bad year when they lost to a bunch of ranked teams in close games, partially because their quarterback had an injured leg. Um, and we just, we dropped them. They were barely in the top 25, uh, in the preseason last year, this, and Oregon's followed almost exactly the same script this year. You know, or Adams, when he was hurt, uh, their, their offense struggled. It was still, let's put it this way. It struggled for Oregon. They were still ninth in offensive S and P plus with their quarterback missing like a third of the year or more than a third of the year. Um, so even when they were quote unquote bad, they weren't that bad. Uh, and now they've got two, at least two quarterbacks who are going to be better than the guys who replaced Adams when he was hurt last year. Lockie and Allie are not, I mean, they were basically, they're basically scout teamers this year. Uh, Prukop, the kid from Montana State, Travis Johnson, the, the, the blue chip redshirt freshman who might have been the second stringer last year had he not gotten hurt in practice. Um, either one of those are going to be upgrades to what Lockie provided, uh, perhaps semi-significant upgrades over that. And... Uh, Royce Freeman, uh, Taj Griffin, uh, however you say it, Connie Benoit at, at uh, running back, Tony Brooks James at running back, Darren Carrington, who averaged almost 14 yards a target last year, Dwayne Stanford, Pharaoh Brown's back, uh, Charles Nelson, Evan Bayless, Devin Allen. Like, Devin Allen is pretty good, and he was targeted 18 times last year. He might not get any more this year because there's just there, there are too many weapons that they've got. Uh, most of their offensive line returns, and they get uh, another grad transfer from Dayton back of there. And the defense isn't going to be worse. It just, it's not going to be worse. I, I understand, you know, they weren't very disruptive and they lost their only disruptive guy in Buckner. Uh, but the secondary was crazy young last year, and it's going to be good again. And let's see, what did they rank in rushing? Last year, they ranked 108th in rushing S&P Plus. They're not going to rank lower than that. They will be at worst somewhere in the 70s, I think. And so if your defense improves, and your offense doesn't really get worse than what it was on average, then at worst you're talking about the team you had last year, which was still a top 25 team. Uh, 
and it's very, and it's it takes only a couple of ifs to make Oregon a top ten or fifteen team again. And if you're that, you're right in the middle of the Pac-12 race because I mean Stanford, even if they're a little higher, they have to like they their 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 schedule this year is amazing in terms of like they they play I think four top twenty teams on the road, uh, plus UCLA at home. Uh, you know it's going to be really tough for Stanford to avoid losing a game or two, even if they're really good. That allows Oregon a slip up in there somewhere. Um, I, I think this is absolutely a three-team race in the North, and and I, I'm really excited about these games because they start early. It, it, it's this race is going to kind of unfold over the whole the whole season, and that's fun. You know, maybe this is where I get a little proactive and and exercise some agency over media narrative because if Stanford or Washington have if we're starting to get into one loss comparison and schedules and stuff, I don't care. I don't care what nobody say. The there is still a bias against the the west side of college football. Yeah, no, yeah, there's absolutely because I mean I, I used a bad example in the Oregon piece. I just mentioned that you know if Alabama lost four games one year, we'd have them back in the top three the next year. That's not a mm-hmm. great example because they're Alabama. They're just they're they recruit at a different level. They do everything at a different level. I would have them in the top three next year, but. Yeah, Oregon lost or Stanford lost. Went eight and five with a bunch of close losses and was barely in the top twenty-five to start the next year. Oregon lost four games. They only lost four games. You you talk to anybody about Oregon's team last year, they, you think they went six and seven. They went nine and four, uh, and and w- you know with some close losses to good teams, and they beat Stanford and they whooped USC, and they're barely in the top twenty-five to start this year. That's crazy. Hmm. Hmm. Just gonna write all this down. Instead of doing research for next week. Um, okay. All right, Bill. So uh, Oregon to the national title game. I got that. All right. Absolutely. We've That's had a, absolutely what I'm saying. Yeah. We've had a, uh, a pretty steady uptick in reader mail. Is there anywhere you want to start in particular? Uh, by the way, a couple of you have actually sent me some pretty strong stuff for media days. Uh, I'm not going to put those on the air because I may actually use some of them. But if I do and it turns into content, we'll come back here, credit you guys. We'll make sure it's all all simpatico. Everybody gets promotion on social media. But I do appreciate you guys coming up with weird ideas. Or I think a, a couple of you actually just had genuine questions you didn't feel like would get answered. Uh, most of them were at the Big 12 media days. Um, is there any question you want to start with, Bill? Um, scrolling back through here. Uh, yeah, we haven't answered emails in a while. So we've got a lot of really good ones that we're, we're not going to get to all of them. Um, actually, we'll start with this one. Um, our friend... <laughs> Our friend John uh, says, you know, first off, love the podcast. Can't wait to hear y'all break down Western Kentucky versus Louisiana Tech in week six. Yeah, I saw that email. Does he think – is that a joke? Because <laughs> we know, will. We are, we, are, we, are, we are both lovable and mockable. I think. Try to, I mean, are you, is that a threat? Because <laughs> don't tempt me. Um, I'm curious, you talk a lot about Texas fans as if they are a Borg-like collective. Um, who are these fans you talk to and get such bad opinions from, and where are they? Are they in your mentions constantly? I'd like to think of myself as a somewhat rational member of Texas fandom. Uh, for instance, the only positive thing about Baylor's situation is that institutionalized rape cover-ups are, are most likely a part of their past. I don't even consider Strong's 2016 class top 10 because it's silly to ignore such appalling context. Uh, maybe I'm deluding myself, but I hope there's a sizable contingent of Texas fans who aren't obsessed with Baylor and who won't consider Texas a top five team if we win nine games this year. Um, I, I mean, I enjoyed this. I, obviously, there's some snark in there, but I, I like this comment because it does like it, it. We are very much impacted by who we interact with and who we see like on Twitter interacting with others. And the the interesting thing about Texas situation is that the the. <laughs> 
for me, like the lines between fan and, and actual local media, they blur in a way that I really don't see it that many other places, even like Alabama. It, it, it's just, it's, it's so interesting to see some of the members of the media, not necessarily stoking the fan base in certain ways, but, but acting like a fan base in certain ways. And that's, that's been interesting. That was a very diplomatic way of putting that. Um, I, I would start by saying when John says, I don't even consider to Strong's 2016 class top 10 because it's silly to ignore such appalling context. I That's mean, okay, but let me tell you something. It, it is. It is a top 10 recruiting right. class, and regardless of right. how it got there, it is because recruiting is one of the things that we year by year feel better and better about applying a, a, a hard metric to. And when I when I asked Bud and he says, you know, no, that's a top 10 class. It doesn't matter that it happened late. It happened after National Signing Day. And we ignored it in a media context. The talent is there regardless of what right. happened. I, and and I, I will say – I'll say this and then I'll let – all those other top ten recruiting classes, eggs got broken to make those omelets too. <laughs> well, I think I think maybe his point is just that you know when you you know with some of the the recruiting wins, I do think there was a little bit of buzz about you know Charlie's recruiting like crazy. He's doing a great job, and 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 obviously that requires context. Uh, well, now, I mean, he did a good job closing late, but but you know there's no question that they benefited from the Baylor situation when it just purely comes to who they ended up signing for this year. But I mean, yeah, on, on paper, it's a top 10 class. There's no, there's no way around that. So maybe a really negative Texas fan could say, well, yeah, they got him, but they got him on this technicality and they should have had him. They should have always had him the entire time. They should have been <laughs> yeah, in the fold. Yeah. That is a very Texas way of looking at things. And, and, and I'm sure there are a sizable amount of Texas fans that feel that way. I think the jury's still out on Charlie. Um, the Borg Like Collective is, I think that's a, you know what, that's a, a great way of describing some of the faux media con- contingency around Texas. It's it's large, it's contentious, they fight amongst themselves constantly, they yeah. fight with the sports information department, there's sort of like a Austin media versus state media thing, like, it's a mess. It's amazing to watch, and would be an interesting story, but I just, I hate, you know, you're sort of playing to the critics when you do stuff like that. I don't think anybody out there, to me it's... I'm much more interested in who Charlie Strong is right now and where this program is in terms of their influence on the nation, on the sport, on broadcast television rights than I am on how the media all, you know, complains to one another. That's a little too far inside baseball, I think, unless I see an, you know, an upswell of people contacting me dying to know who said what about who in the press box. Uh, we'll focus on, you know, we'll, we'll stay forward facing with our focus on Texas. Um, you are what you represent. I know every fan base has bad media and bad fans and bad faux yeah. media, but Texas is especially, I mean, they're big. They don't. Yeah, I mean. Te- Texas, I always... Texas doesn't pivot gracefully. It's a very large beast, and so <laughs> they, they're not delicate and quiet. Yeah, what I always say is that every fan base is about 80% the same, and the other 20% is just geography and history. Um, and, and so, yeah, like, you will, there are a lot of really good and really bad Texas fans, obviously, but there is also kind of um, I, I, that other twenty percent maybe gets out blown, uh, overblown. But I do think you know, in, in the ways that we interact with fan bases, we're gonna get a flavor of those other twenty percent quite a bit. And and the Texas twenty percent is a really weird, unique bunch for any number of geographical and historical historical reasons. The Baylor stuff is I've said this before and I'll say it again, it's not a popular opinion and it's something that might even get me in trouble at work, but I don't believe you. I don't believe you're pearl clutching. I don't believe that you're that outraged about women's rights on campus. I don't believe that you're outraged about a systemic cover up of sexual assault. I don't believe you. 
I believe that you're a fan of a team that has had his ass kicked in PR, in marketing, in branding, in the culture of Texas and football by an upstart usurper and that they got what was coming to them in your eyes and you get to take the moral high road. I don't believe that Michigan and Ohio State fans cared that much about what was going on at Penn State. They at the bottom, like, you can be outraged at anything, and and I'm not trying to take away your genuine concern. Okay, these are terrible things that happen in in these places, and you can express your your opinion freely. But when I see a uniform contingent of of, of people trying to control how this is messaged, because look. Baylor, complex situation, we still don't know. I don't even think we know 20% of that story. That's not in defense of Bryles. I kind of think Bryles is probably screwing himself right now in this little PR campaign yeah. he, he and his lawyer are on. Baylor did really bad, terrible things happen. I just don't ever see it uh, as becoming when, when faux media and fans of a rival school right, up, right down the road excuse me, are taking this uh, aghast approach. I just don't buy it. Maybe I'm a well, terrible person. Maybe I'm a nihilist. But I don't buy. I don't believe you. The one part that really that really soured me a lot was when some of the, the hashtag rape culture, like some of the things that we saw in, in members of Texas media tweets regarding Baylor. How are we? How long are we going to put up with this hashtag rape culture? Blah 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 blah. It really it felt like part. The way we treat sports and the way we treat politics is just blended together into one now, and it really felt like uh, you know the political you know one party versus the other. I'm just tr- I'm trying to sell my message kind of thing, um, and and I hate that because <laughs> rape culture is a thing, and uh, you know I, I Baylor deserved to be to well we don't know what's going to completely happen to them, but Baylor deserves what they get in this situation. Um, but it really felt political or disingenuous to some degree when when some members uh, some people uh, were saying those things and I hated I hated going down that road because then I can't tell who is being serious a lot of people I mean of course a lot of people care they, everybody should care but it was really hard to separate the people who were expressing genuine emotions versus the people who were really trying to jump on Baylor for you know for showing a weakness or something crazy I 300% believe that if the situation is reversed the the opposite parties take the the opposite opinion I believe right. that I believe that if this were to have happened at Texas, that you would have seen a what five, six, seven times as large media contingent in Austin and then statewide try and rally around and parse details and create doubt and and sort of defend the crown's honor, and then you would have seen one or two plucky, uh, obviously agenda-driven Baylor media going after Tech. I, the exact same thing would have happened. I don't know yeah. if the result would have been the same. And that speaks to the power that certain institutions have in certain states. But I just don't – I'm sorry. I just don't believe people when, when, when they act that concerned. It's, it's all a lie. It's all about football. At the end of the day, it's all about fandom. And so, like I said, you know, I, I know I come off as the guy saying, how dare you criticize you know, me saying that this is bad because it is empirically bad. I, I get that. I do. But I just don't, I still don't believe you. 90% of you I don't believe. <laughs> so maybe that makes me a terrible person. Um, Thanks for the question, John. You believe him. I, I have absolutely no reason to doubt John's intention here. Yes, can we all say, yes, every, every single person, regardless of team affiliation or passion for a particular sport, can say what went on, what we think went on, what we're pretty sure went on, is heinous. 
But when it goes, when you're tweeting about it 15 times a day, when you're going on in a character assassination plot on people tangentially related to what's going on, and we still don't have all the information, you're doing that out of a place of fandom. It's a, it, I, the fact anyone would argue with me on that is just, again, it, it rings as hollow as, as what I think you already are. So, Yeah, I think the biggest thing there is the information. Like, you know, we... We 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 still don't know a lot, but it really seemed like a lot of people were trying to jump on this when everything was very blurry and we didn't actually know anything. Um, and and so yeah. Anyway, anyway, I'm gonna pull the stick we'll, north we'll, and, we'll, and try. Yeah, let me try and get out of this with just a, a lighter question from uh, Alan Mathis. Godfrey and Bill, does the following? Oh, yep, that's the one I had. Oh, nice. Uh, Go God, Godfrey and Bill, does the following scenario break the current playoff format? You ready? Let's say, and I'm just going to feed this into your computer brain. Let's say Michigan, Clemson, and Alabama, or whoever really, I think he's implying there, whoever wins the SEC, uh, all go undefeated. No, okay, never mind. I'm sorry. Let's say Michigan, Clemson, and Alabama all go undefeated and earn the top three spots in the playoff. Okay, that seems fine. That yep. also seems very, uh, Michigan's got a trash schedule. Um, <laughs> who would get the fourth spot if it came down to, here we go. 11-1 Oklahoma team that lost to Houston and a 13-0 Houston team that beat Oklahoma. I'm not necessarily asking – did you already blurt out your answer? Yep. I'm Go not ahead. necessarily asking for your prediction as to which of those two teams would earn the fourth playoff spot, although feel free to give it. Bill just did. Instead, I'm asking you what you think the fallout would be from this hypothetical and admittedly unlikely scenario. Well, let me say a couple things, Alan. One, not that unlikely. In the grand scheme of things, I think it's more unlikely to see Clemson and Alabama and Michigan all simultaneously go undefeated. Well, right, yeah. Um, than it is for an eleven and one Oklahoma situation with thirteen and zero Houston. Because let me gently uh, after Oklahoma, the Houston schedule. I think we've already talked about multiple times. It's very manageable. I would say manageable would be underselling Houston's um, talent. Okay, so this could happen. Bill is right. But I also feel like this is – I feel like this is more my neck of the woods in terms of the backdoor politics and also the PR stuff. This is bad. This is really bad. This, this is class action bad because this – to me, <laughs> to me this, this, this situation would prove almost, almost without a doubt that it, it's, it's impossible for a mid-major to, to compete in the playoff structure. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, one of the reliable truths about college football's history is if, if it's a choice between um, screwing a mid-major over or giving them what they what it kind of seems like they deserve, which, again, you know, Houston would be 13-0 with, like, two wins over power conference teams, so you can blur those lines if you want. Um, you know, history tells us that the the power program will win that fight, and, and you know, I, I, I mean, it just it is what it is. Like, 118 things would have to happen for an undefeated mid-major to get a playoff spot. And, and it sucks. And I, and I wish that weren't the case. And I, you know, we're the, we're the fans of the underdog. So it's not like I'm advocating for it, but I, I think the, you know, without any other details about margins of victory or anything like that, I think 11 and one Oklahoma gets that spot over 13 and Houston eight out of 10 times. Um, just would throw out real fast. I would like to, nothing against her for or whatever, but it would be interesting to see a, a Houston, a 1 and 0 Houston team because the test would come much later. Re, this reminds me a lot of the Boise years where Boise yeah. wins a high profile kickoff game because. And then they disappear. I, yeah, and then, but, but then the traps are laid very late in this schedule. Now, nothing against Cincinnati. They're going to play at Cincinnati on a Thursday night in week three. 
But they've got they end their season with Louisville and Memphis. They get Louisville at home, and that's a that's another Thursday night game. And then they're at Memphis the day after Thanksgiving. Those are trap games. Well, I mean, Louisville's potentially a top twenty team. So yeah, um, I mean, if they're if Houston's really playoff caliber, then they won't they won't really struggle. I, I don't think the AAC is going to be quite as good as it was last year. Um, man, I just felt like a like heresy. Felt weird saying that. Heresy. Man, I'm going against I'm going against Brad left and right here. Um, no, I, I think you know if Houston really is a top five or ten caliber team, and and we all. <laughs> I, I've expressed my opinions on whether they are, are, are or are not many times. Um, but if they are, then, yeah, Louisville and Oklahoma are the only two teams that could really jump in, up and get them this year, I think. so. Um, also, uh, don't sleep on at Navy. And Again, if you're top five, then you're not losing at Navy this year. But if they're top 30, they could absolutely lose today. At they're Navy. not top five, though. There's, I mean, let's be – where are they right now? And there's, I, I don't think Oklahoma affords you a bump to get to the top five by the time you go to Navy on October 8th. Well, no, I'm just talking about if you're truly a top five caliber team. Right. Not necessarily where you rank in the polls, but if you're really that good, you're not losing at Navy. Well, that changes the paradigm on this question then. Do they have the ability to show that? And that's I think so. You've already answered that by saying you think eleven and one Oklahoma would get in because you you have to go to so you beat Oklahoma by six or ten maybe or something I, I don't know or a field sure. goal whatever you have to go beat the brakes off Cincinnati that's a national game suddenly I tell you what suddenly the AAC's television contract works in your favor tremendously you beat the brakes off Cincinnati national television you get. Another Thursday night game two weeks later against UConn, the, the one team that beat you last year, beat the brakes off them, okay? Um, at Navy, then another Thursday game, Louisville, and a Friday game, Memphis. So maybe at least, no, I, I just talked myself right out of it. This just feels like a Boise year. It just does. And then the whole nation of, like, Luddite Power 5 fans from big traditional powers will be cheering their asses off against Houston either against yeah. Louisville or Memphis or, or even Tulane the week before. It's just the more things change, the more they stay the same. I really like this question, though, Alan. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the, that, I think that's the thing. Boise State might have had the best team in the country a couple of years in, like, in that Kellen Moore era, or really close to it. One of the top four, for sure. Um, and, you know, partially because they screwed up that year and lost to Nevada in that amazing game in, what, 2010, I guess. The field goal um, game, they would have, yeah, they would have never gotten into the playoff. Uh, even the years they finished undefeated, because those years they weren't quite good enough or hadn't beat anybody specific enough. And then the years they did beat somebody good right off the bat. Number one, they were losing stature just for having to play the the New Mexico states of the world. Um, but then, yeah, they they slipped up to San Diego State the one time, TCU the one time, uh, Nevada the one time. Um, can so I can I, I put in like an addendum on this question? What if I don't think this happens at all this year because I just think they're they're still kind of feeling themselves out right now with this coaching staff. But this is a prime Boise goes undefeated and nothing happens here because they just don't have the schedule. Yeah, if Boise somehow gets back into a conversation, I mean, they're you're talking at ULL, Washington State yeah. at home, and that's it. Yeah, and, and not even a great Mountain West. Uh, they, I mean, they, they would have beaten a really good San Diego State team. I think I think San Diego State's going to be good. But I mean, you go to no, Oregon State, year. you're expected to win that game by three touchdowns. Yeah, yeah I mean, basically, w- to be a mid-major, you have to get a lot of lucky breaks, like OU not being 11-1, like them being 10-2 and or 9-3 and uh, and whatnot. And you have to be good more than one year. Like, that's that's I think that's 
the way it has to happen. The Houston is primed. If they go 13-0, and in this scenario that we spelled out, they're not getting in. But in a lot of scenarios, they would. Now, uh, uh, like, I, a lot of scenarios, they just there wouldn't be a choice. Are you basing the argument solely on another Power 5 team being 11-1 and regardless of the fact they lost to Houston? So let's say it's not Oklahoma. Let's say it's a – so same thing happens. Michigan, Clemson, Alabama, right? And then let's say it's not Oklahoma. Let's say they lose to Houston, and then they lose to Texas, and they're out of the question. But let's say it's an 11-1 and Stanford or 11-1 and Washington. Same thing happen? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, Houston would have the best case with Oklahoma involved. Um, if Oklahoma's not involved and Stanford's 11 and 1 with a loss, or 12 and 1 with a loss to like at Oregon or at Washington or at somebody like that, at Notre Dame is probably the best example. Um, then, yeah, if there, are, if there are four 11 and 1 or four 0 or 1 loss power teams, uh, I just don't see Houston getting in. And, that, and then, of course, if you th- yeah, and if you throw Notre Dame into this equation, it only makes it worse yeah. for Houston, yeah. really, because they could be good too. Yeah. All right, well, uh, let's do another one. I don't think we're yeah we're not to box score time yet here. Um, Jonathan, our friend Jonathan, this was yesterday actually. Uh, let's see, love the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in, in part, okay, so as a current OU student who grew up in the Oklahoma in Oklahoma as a fan. Uh, the entirety of my time watching college football has been spent watching Bob Stoops establish what he, what seems like his own blue blood version of Glenn Mason territory. Love, love, love the Glenn Mason territory getting referenced. Uh, that's like the first. Yeah, I feel, I I feel like he leaned into it to get this one on the air, but keep going. <laughs> no, actually, I, I wasn't going to because it's too obvious, but then I love the question. All right. So he consistently wins at a very high level, but has never been able to surpass the standard he set for himself early on, which leads to collective unrest uh, from the fan base after nearly every season and a conniption fit if the 10-win threshold isn't met uh, from fans who, who seem to never be happy with the results from the extremely successful program they root for and are always going for a magic bullet, and that usually involves firing Stoops and or the SEC, which uh, I guess moving to the SEC – well, anyway, uh, I know this trend is hardly exclusive to OU, having just watched Urban Meyer perfect the art of the miserable 12-1 season. Uh, and with, an, with the unrealistic expectations for unsati- from unsatisfied fans seeming to be a recurring theme in this podcast. Uh, bearing all that in mind, is there a formula for an ideal state where a team's fan base is as happy as possible for as long as possible? Is my assumption that the ideal state for, uh, for a fan base is always being happy flawed? Or is it for a fan base always being happy? Is my assumption flawed? Is there any team who comes closest to exemplifying this ideal state? Well, Alabama, mm-hmm. um, but even Alabama lost its freaking mind in 2010 and 2013. Uh, like the, almost the only years they didn't win the national title, they were miserable. Um, but I mean, no, it's it's Alabama because they win the title almost every year, or at least every other year. So they're not miserable for long. That's the only. I think that's the only way because even. Even in the interim, you get fans. I still remember driving through Oklahoma City um, the day after they lost the Independence Bowl in uh, 98, Stoops' first, 99, Stoops' first year. Uh, they lost, like, the last-second field goal or something to Ole Miss in the Independence Bowl. And I remember driving through Oklahoma City. Uh, I don't know why I had sports talk radio on, but I did. Uh, hearing people talking, saying the magic words, or settle for mediocrity, the, the, these inexperienced coaches, and this, this uh, they brought in a bunch of amateurs who don't know what they're doing, uh, and we're never going to win big again as long as we're settling for the Independence Bowl. Uh, and then, you know, the next year they went undefeated and won the national title. By the way, after that game, that was my freshman year at Ole Miss. It was also the last game played in the millennium um, because it was New Year's Eve right as the clock hit midnight on the East Coast. Um, My favorite part of that is that right after that game, 
this this is just a giant cautionary tale on on drawing things from bowl games. Everyone in Mississippi was convinced that David Cutcliffe was going to put this team in the SEC championship. <laughs> okay. So funny how field goals do things in bowl games that don't matter. Is my yeah. is my FYI. So anyway, uh, sorry, my, sorry. My um, my response is no. Your your fan base is going to figure out a reason to be miserable unless you're winning the national title every single year. Yep. And I mean, man, we're cynical today. We're, no, it's just it's dis- it feels disingenuous to complain about Oklahoma if you're not an Oklahoma fan. Otherwise, I mean. If I had, if I'm looking for a sports analog, I guess it's like it's all those years I got mad at the Braves for winning 95 games a year and then dying in the playoffs in the first round. Um, I mean, that's there's not a more consistent program right now in terms of we talk about this all the time. How Bob Stoops is the example of how to how to rejigger a staff and change offensive philosophies and I mean all that stuff is still true. It's just they don't close well, I guess. That doesn't mean that I would blow it all up. But then again, I always wanted to blow up the Braves. Look what I got. Um, so I, I'm going to straddle the fence here and say it's a disingenuous complaint. But I also understand why you're complaining because I know that feeling. But no, nothing should be done about it. Do you, or, or, or do you think, Bill, at, at this point, is there a scenario in which two to three years from now the right coach like a Tom Herman type comes in there and does cross the threshold with, with – um, with Oklahoma, because to me it feels like this is the Big 12's Georgia. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's semi-Georgia-ish in that they haven't actually won the national title. But my goodness, I mean, the more I dive into history, like the more examples I come up with, and the, and the more it kind of frustrates me that you know, we, you know. Uh, anyway, fa- fans are fanatical by nature, yep, and they don't want you know we 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 get sucked into this emotional side of things, and we don't want to be sucked out of it. We we are in it for the emotion. Uh, and, and I, and I do understand all that, but it, like the number of times we saw, you know, a, a, a Tom Osborne, a Mac Brown guys who just couldn't win the big game and then did, uh, and then couldn't again and then did, um, it, like, I just like Bob Stoops says, let's see, since 2000, he's won 13, 11, 12, 12, 12, 8, 11, 11, 12, 8, 12, 10, 10, 11, 8, 11. This is his down period. He's only won 10, 10, 11, 8 and 11 over the last five years. Um, and that last eight win season was was a ridiculous media cycle. Yeah, no, he was on the hot seat. He was on the hot seat tw- like uh, <sighs> ten months ago. He was on the hot seat, and then he went to the national semifinals. And people were dissatisfied with with going to the semifinals, but basically only being the third best team in the country and not being able to beat Clemson, the second best team in the country. Um, I just like be emotional about it and be, uh, you know, mad and, and whatever, but <laughs> realize you're being emotional and unstable and all that. And, and, and that in the, at the end of the day, if you really want to get rid of Bob Stoops, your odds of getting somebody better are very, very small. Your last coach was John Blake. Wow. The, the coach before that was Howard Schnellenberger. The coach before that was Gary Gibbs. Who, Gary Gibbs, by the way, another completely misunderstood. John Blake, um, man, that is a trivia. That's a trivia answer name. No, that's, that's always been my, like, you know, the, the other point that I think that we just don't think of enough is that hiring a, a good coach is hard. And, and my example is always that, you know, the guy before Bob Stoops was John Blake. The guy before Mac Brown was John Makovic. The guy before Urban Meyer was Ron Zook um, at, at Florida. Uh, the guy before Nick Saban was Mike Shula. Like it, it's really hard to make two good hires in a row. 
And and we just we're desperate to do it every single time we lose a game. You so. Hear that, Justin Fuente? You hear that? <laughs> you hear that's that? true. Yeah, yeah. He's he's doomed. I don't think that's fair at all. Bill, are you ready? Let's do it. I, I feel bad. We like there are like six other questions, but it's we've already crossed an hour, so let's do it. Yeah, I got things to do. Not really. Um, all right. There's a green team and there's a red team. Bill, by the way, if you've never listened to us before, uh, what are you doing this far deep into a podcast? This is blind box score bingo, in which one of you sends me and just me. Don't email Bill. A blind box score with the name scrubbed out. Preferably via Photoshop and some nice little JPEG that I can But if you accidentally send it to me, I'm not going to look. So, you know, it's okay. Don't trust robots. That's what they're they're supposed to say, okay? Send it to me. Uh, We asked for games within the last two to three seasons. Um, uh, You know what? I'll skip the spiel this week. Let's just go right into it. All right, there's a green team and a red team. Bill, the green team had 23 first downs. The red team had 28. The green team was 6 of 13 on third down, and two of two on fourth down. The red team was six of 13 on third down, and two of three on fourth down. The green team had 486 total guards, 274 passing, 212 rushing. They were 15 of 25 passing, 11 yards per pass with no picks. On the uh, Of those 212 rushing yards, the green team had 40 rushing attempts, so that's 5.3 yards a carry. The red team had 449 total yards. They uh, passed for 222. They ran for 227. The red team was 18 of 36 passing for 6.2 yards per pass. No interceptions thrown. Of their 227 rushing yards, they ran the ball 41 times. That's 5.5 yards per clip average. The green team had nine penalties for 100 yards. Wow. The red team had five penalties for 44. Neither team had a turnover in any regard. And 25 minutes, 39 seconds possession for the green team. 33 minutes, 23 seconds possession for the red team. That seems a little odd to me. Maybe it will, yeah. maybe it will factor into your, your decision-making. Bill, what happened in this football game? <laughs> this one's really hard because so many of the things are exactly even. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 40 carries for twenty or 212 versus 41 for 227. Um, zero turnovers, six for 13 third downs versus six for 13 third downs. So really the only differences are that uh, green team threw less and, and had some explosive passes. So they completed 15 passes for 274. Uh, and the red team had 18 completions for 222. Uh, and then the green team also had more penalties. So green team was aggressive. Uh, green team moved a little faster too. They had, let's see. What is that? 65 snaps in 25 minutes versus uh, only the red team had 77 snaps in 33 minutes. I'm pretty sure that's um, that means the red team was moving slower, which could be a style thing. Could be that they were ahead. Um, and, and, and then the green team was moving faster, which could be a style thing or that they were behind. Uh, and, but they didn't throw very much. So that maybe they weren't behind. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I just I, I this this one. Boils down to the penalties and the explosive plays. So green team was clearly the explosive team, the slightly less stable team uh, that made more big plays and and shot itself in the foot more. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. Red team didn't pass very well. 
uh, didn't really do anything very well. I mean, they, they averaged, what, like 5.8 yards per play, which is fine. It's about normal. And let's see, the green team, as I whip out the calculator, uh, averaged 7.5 yards per play. Clearly better, clearly more uh, potential on the green team. I, I, I guess, boy, I don't know what else to say there. I, no. I guess maybe the red team was, was playing slowly because it was ahead because of some, you know, fluky some, uh, return touchdown or, or special teams whatnot or the penalties made them punt or, or whatever the situation was. Maybe the red team was ahead. Sounds like and you're telling me, was... Bill, that there is missing information here. Well, I mean, not missing, but yeah, it's just, it's hard to it's hard to know the story here without knowing like of what I always say the finishing drive. Do you drives feel like there's like, another metric here that would that, that you're missing that would that would be able to help you craft? Because um, I picked this blind box for Bingo Challenge specifically. One, it was a funny email, and two, it exposes not your ignorance at all, but it exposes one of the fallacies that we talked about. What, you know how we look at box scores in general. All right. Well, the two things that I could use here would be special teams, like return, you know, returns or net yardage for kickoffs or punts, because um, that would tell you something about field position. Um, and then, of course, as always, the other thing is is, dr- is finishing drives, that points per scoring opportunity that Fox puts on its game day broadcasts now, um, which uh, you know, I, I, I makes me very happy. Um, but that's that's always the biggest thing uh, I think that's missing from the box scores. Just how do they do when they were when they had a chance to score, and not that stupid like touchdown percentage in red zone trips or whatever. Um, no, you got to back the red zone up to 25, 30, 40 yard line and give me points per or or something besides how many touchdowns. All right, Bill, you ready to find out? Let's go. All right, Fort Worth, Texas, Dateline, January second, two thousand fifteen. Houston quarterback Greg Ward had just thrown his third touchdown in a flurried contest ah. that included two recovered onside kicks in a row right, 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 within right. a point in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Interim coach, our personal friend on the podcast, David Gibbs, never had a second thought on what to do with less than a minute left in the game. Quote, we decided to go for two at the end because we had the momentum. 35-34 Houston. This was the Armed Forces Bowl from two seasons ago. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh, yeah. Yes, this game doesn't feel – I'm sure this game feels familiar. It's very weird. We, um, I think we've actually talked about this game before. Um, so, Brian Anderson send this, sends this in, specifically on July 4th. Uh, he writes in, Hey, Stephen, crazy college football games came up at our cookout, and I wanted to fire this one off before I got too drunk to remember it later. <laughs> 4th of July. Brian Anderson, a man after my own heart. I need to do things before I'm too drunk. Um, on 4th of July, but sending an email to a podcast love, uh, to love every, talk about a box every sports. bit about this. That is a core, <laughs> that is a on-point, on-brand listener. Um, here's the reason it's tricky. Recovering onside kicks doesn't show up in the box score. I no. Mean, this is a massive loophole and should make Bill cry shenanigans. I would cry shenanigans. This is sort of evil. Love the podcast, Brian. It is sort of evil. I didn't choose it. I mean, honestly, I'm not even going to put this on Bill's record. Because this is more an exercise in what box scores can't tell us. What watching a game determines versus looking at stats. And really, I don't see how you could make any definitive statement about this game. But we, we don't try and make Bill guess which team won. We just want overall sort of arcing narratives. But this one had a big old sore spot in it. Yeah, and I mean, even if I if you gave me free reign to create a box score, I don't even know if I would put it onside kicks in, like, you know, a number of onside kicks recovered or attempted or whatever. Because, I, I mean... A game like this happens like once every five years, um, and and it was just such a coin, t- you know, those onsides are such a coin toss thing. Um, 
But no, I mean, that does, like, a lot of, if I remember right now, a lot of Houston's explosiveness in the passing game came in the, oh, yep, just pulled it up. Yeah, the, so they scored. They were down 34-13. They were down 31-6, and then they they drove down the field, had a 31-yard pass, 17-yard pass, scored, gave up a field goal, completed passes of 43-32 and 32 to score again and make it 34-20. They were covering onside kick. They, were, they complete passes of 23-13 and 29 to score again. They were covering onside kick. They complete passes of 38 and 25 to score again. Um, by the way, David Gibbs, that wasn't momentum that you had at the end. You just didn't want to play any longer and you wanted to win the game. Um, maybe it's oh, more, yeah, why, can't, I, why can't you go a week without talking shit to that man? Because I have to. We, we need to get him on the show at some oh, point. Man. No, actually, it kind of was in that Pitt's defense was completely demoralized at that point. So you absolutely go for two in that instance. So that was, ballsy. You know, but anyway, um, demoralized momentum, whatever you want to call it. That was absolutely the right play. So. So. All right. That's our show for this week. We'll be back <laughs> next week um, in which Bill says something terrible about Texas Tech's defensive coordinator just to create consistency. Um, we have one more, sort of, before we have newsy news items and news product related news, news filler. Hashtag narratives. I'm so excited. Are you excited? Yeah, I got a busy July here coming up, so you know I'm, I'm uh, you know. When we get done with the Pac-12, where are we sailing to next? On Big Ten, I this is this is this is like skid marks and a loud screeching sound here. I did I did Stanford today. Tomorrow Rutgers. Yeah. All right. That, now there's a teaser for next week. Come back next week. No news, <laughs> but we got Rutgers. Yeah, that is fun. I mean, this is a reminder though that like my schedule never changes. Like the the media days and all that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still writing about a, a team a day, no matter what happens. So mm. um, some days are clearly better than others. All right, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yep.